0: Dr. Eva Frick was raised on the family farm outside of St. Louis, Missouri, and knew from an early age that she wanted to be a veterinarian. She earned a veterinary degree from the University of Missouri in 1980 and went into mixed animal practice in the Lake of the Ozarks area of Missouri after graduation. She then transitioned to traditional small animal practice, honing her surgery and emergency medicine skills. She moved to Arizona in 1980 and worked both at the Humane Society and as a locum in the area small animal practices. Moved back to Missouri in 1985 and worked in shelter medicine before transitioning into holistic practice. Her holistic practice includes chiropractic, rehabilitation, exercise, and nutrition. She's an expert in veterinary microcurrent therapy and has consulted for the Standard Process Company, developing the Clinical Animal Nutrition Survey to help doctors prioritize organ system function through nutrition. Dr. Frick also designed the first laser spinal pad for animals. Her careers involve sharing her knowledge through teaching, writing books and articles, and creating instructional videos. She has been honored as a runner-up for Hearts Veterinarian of the Year, the Franklin County Humane Society Visionary Award, and as one of the first inductees into the Animal Chiropractic Hall of Fame. Please enjoy this conversation with Dr. Ava Frick as we discuss her childhood, her education, her journey into holistic medicine, the stages of her veterinary career, being honored by your peers, and her current life in Cave Creek, Arizona. Dr. Frick, thanks for taking the time today.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for the invite.
0: So Ava, where did you grow up?
1: Oh, I grew up in Missouri, about an hour southwest of St. Louis at the north end of the Ozarks in a town called Union. It was a rural community. Back then everything was a little bit more (laughs) rural than what it is now. But uh, yeah, I grew up on a farm, and my family was in the meat packing business and had a supermarket, and we always had gardens and lots of animals around. So, you know, it was pretty good for me.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, at what point did you realize or th- discover that you wanted to be a veterinarian?
1: When I was about three, I can remember thinking back at three that my purpose for being here was to be an animal doctor. I didn't, I didn't know the word veterinarian. I guess back then, but animal doctors and that's always what it was
0: I suppose you had plenty of opportunity to practice on the farm
1: yeah yes I had uh, whether the animals wanted to be patients or not and then my sisters I was always the doctor and made them be the either the receptionist or the public coming in with the cats and the strollers and the oh, so. yeah, I know one time once she says why do you, why do you always get to be the doctor I said because I'm going to be one
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, did you do 4-H or anything when you were growing up?
1: I did. Yeah, I did. Actually, uh, livestock. It was kind of a situation that arose. Uh, we had you know, cows had twins, and she wouldn't take the one. And this was on Thanksgiving. So here's this little calf that needs to be bucket fed. So we named him Pilgrim. And my sister and I, the oldest sister and myself, we took turns in the morning because back, you know, I and mean, it was snowy in wintertime. and you had this bucket of milk you had to go in the basement and make and then from the house to the barn was a bit of a trek and you had to do that in the morning before you got on the school bus so there was you had to keep your mind in the idea that okay i'm committed to this i'm gonna do it but that was how i ended up in 4-h is that then i took him as a steer into the 4-h and learned how to show cattle and all that that was fun
0: yeah is that something you did a lot of in, in school then
1: Okay. Uh, that was during my junior high age timeline. Once I was in high school, then I wasn't in in the Sean Cattle anymore. I was on to playing the flute in the band and doing the marching band and being a drum majorette and studying.
0: Ah, uh, where did you where did you do your undergrad?
1: I did that at Missouri Valley College in Marshall. It's halfway between Columbia, which is where the vet school is, and Columbia's in the middle of the state, and then Kansas City on the western side there. So it's a little Presbyterian-affiliated college. I, yeah, I grew up, there was 129 in our graduating high school class, and I didn't wasn't ready for the big scene to be just a number. I wanted to still people to know the teachers and the teachers to know me and that kind of thing. So it was a good fit.
0: What did you uh, study in undergrad?
1: Yeah, I uh, my, my minor was in or major, whatever, was biology. I got into vet school after three years, so I never ended up with a degree. But biology is what I focused on there at Missouri Valley.
0: Did you have a backup plan or was it going to be vet school or bust?
1: <laughs> yeah, there was no backup plan. Yeah, no, there was no backup plan. I don't know. I think if I hadn't gotten into vet school, that I couldn't have just been a technician because I always, in my universe, I would have been feeling like I never made it. I would constantly be reminded of what I didn't accomplish and what I really want. I think I just would have lived a frustrated life. And I always wanted to do drafting and art. My family's very artsy. I like drawing buildings and things. So I think I probably would have gone a totally different direction and gone into like drafting and architecture.
0: Did you, so you enjoyed that small school experience then?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was, it was good for me. Yeah. I liked it a whole lot. I could be involved with the different you know, sororities and clubs and organizations and be a part of the university at that college there. And it was a whole lot of fun. Um,
0: no agriculture programs there?
1: Not at that school. No, there wasn't any. So yeah. the last, uh, the last semester, before vet school started, I actually transferred to University of Missouri-Columbia, which is where I went to vet school and did my last semester there. So I got kind of used to the environment and had an apartment with with some people and then learned how to navigate the big, the big campus and did agriculture then for that one semester, did animal nutrition. That was my
0: favorite. Had you gotten your acceptance yet
1: at that point? Uh, no, it didn't come until February.
0: You were a little bit into the term when you got your acceptance.
1: Yes. Uh, yeah. I Did, was you apply any,
0: Did you apply anywhere on, else?
1: No, back then, at least there, if if you had a veterinary college in your state, it, it wasn't like you were going to get in somewhere else. So, so I didn't even apply anywhere. It was like Missouri
0: or nowhere. Sure. Yeah. Me too. Same, same experience.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: how many were in your class in vet school?
1: Uh, we started with 72 and ended up with 70 in the end. We picked up some left, and then we picked up some from um, different, one from Italy, you know, that is an American citizen, but had gone to a veterinary program in Italy, another one that went to, I think, Guam or Puerto Rico, or, and then one from the Philippines, different colleges, and then they came came into our class. So we had, miss- it was the best class. We were, We had so much fun. It's
0: really cool. Uh, were you able to relax and enjoy vet school, or I mean, I, I assume it sounds like you were a grinder, and you know, you got in after the three years of undergrad. Were you able to slow down a little bit and enjoy the experience, or how was it?
1: Not the first couple years. That was pretty tough. Uh, the expectations, and then just the gradient was just so much higher of what you had to do every day. It was first couple years were really hard. The studying was unbelievable, as you know, but Yeah, I struggled with that actually coming from the smaller college, a little different format to this. And there was our physiology professor. You never knew when you walked in, he never had any announced tests. They were always unannounced and they could test could be from anything, any point of the entire year. And you never knew when you went to class that morning, he may walk in the door, say, put up your books, you're having a test. And you you just had to always know it. That was like nerve-wracking.
0: My stomach hurts just thinking, just hearing that story.
1: Uh, There's a lot of us whose stomachs were hurting every day. <laughs> and it was like the first glass of the morning. So bad because like you had trouble sleeping and then you were just in a gnarl thinking about even trying to eat breakfast or anything, but then good because it was over. So then the rest of the day was... <laughs>
0: <laughs> All downhill from there. <laughs> Oh,
1: jeez. Oh, yes. Did you but know what kind of like, medicine
0: you wanted to practice?
1: Oh, just animal. You know, it was everything. I was like, I, I like I like it all. I enjoyed the equine and the small animal. And I did a little bit extra with ophthalmology when I had gotten out, you know, like travel, just exposed myself to a lot of professionals. But I liked it all. I liked the livestock. And I didn't have an idea of me doing one thing over another. I liked it all. In fact, when I first got out of vet school, I worked in a rural practice down in the Ozarks, close to the Lake of the Ozarks and more in Southern Missouri. And, and uh, you know, it, we, there was everything. And I was there for a little while before I got a job in Kansas City. But like the second weekend I'm out of vet school, the veterinarian and his wife went to a meeting in St. Louis. And so I was there by myself. And Saturday morning, I get this call. I mean, like <laughs> fresh out a cow that's been trying to calve and they, they they feel three legs and they don't know what to do. I get there, I feel five legs. And you know, it's like, oh, great. Either, either there's one in here that's deformed or we got twins, which ended up a C section in the woods. And Mr. Ledbetter, Harvey Ledbetter. Isn't it funny how some people that's like, 43 years ago, and I still remember his name, Harvey Lessig. He said, Well, would it be okay if I go get mom? She had some C sections on some of our kids, and I think she'd like to watch this. I go, You know, I'm just trying to stay composed. And I go, Sure, go ahead. And then one of the, the sons was, There's two sons there, and the one says, You know, they're looking at me, and obviously I look young and I'm female, and they go, Well, have you done a lot of these? And I said, Oh yeah, we had, we had these in the large animal clinic. And so, you know, I was trying to just like go on. Like I didn't want them to get scared thinking they didn't know what I was doing, but it was my first, you know, but yeah, what do you do? You start somewhere. I was good. I was a good seamstress. I started sewing when I was a little kid and I I could do the best embroidery on any kind of a suture line you wanted to see. So I thought, well, at least the closure's gonna look good. She did fine. The calves were both dead, but the cow was good. it was their fourteen year old Jersey uh pet cow that wasn't ever supposed to be bred
0: anyway. Ah. Uh, did you were standing or laying down? Laying down. Yeah. Wow.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, just <laughs> the, just the two of you two of you in the practice
1: then? Uh yeah. Uh yeah. Yeah, there's some funny stories. I don't know if you knew, but uh, a biographer actually wrote my biography. And and so this book came out like a couple years ago. And it's called <laughs> Conversations with Animals. This pioneering, pioneering veterinarian from, yeah. So it's got some of these funny stories in there. Some of the things, you know, there's some heart-touching stories and then there's funny ones like this and some others. And then there's ones where, Everybody's got them where you do something and you're going, Oh my gosh, what was I thinking? How did I, you know, something goes wrong? But that's part of life too. Did Learning you feel prepared?
0: Here. Did you feel prepared mm-hmm. for, uh, you know, going into a practice like that and being on call?
1: Um, at the time, I thought, Oh, I can make this work, I can do this. But, you know, I certainly hadn't had enough of the large animal. It wasn't like I I didn't spend a rotation with a large animal vet. I should have done that and, you know, traveled around. We had uh, in our last last two years, you would have blocks, which were like two months long, and you had four free blocks. So you could go work wherever you wanted. So I did some small animal. I did a bunch of extra parasitology. I worked at the research lab doing parasitology, for some of them. And, but I didn't go to a large animal practice. That would have been a good thing in prepping me for that job. Yeah, well, uh, it all How long out. were you there? I think about four months. So then where to? Kansas City. I was on the Kansas side of Kansas City. I worked in a 24-hour emergency clinic that had a central hospital. And then they had these outposts. And then all the animals that came to the outpatient clinics would end up being transported to the central hospital. And then it was very busy, so I was on call every third day. It was a really good experience there. I got to do a lot. It's kind of like owning your own business there, having your own little space, and then making decisions and, and always had the other uh, seasoned veterinarians to refer to. So it was good. I learned how to – I really uh, – Dr. Guyamina, who owned the practice, he was great with orthopedics and that. I learned – really how to do good orthopedic surgery because of being there for a year with him. That was that was really good because I, I enjoyed surgery. So that helped me going forward.
0: Where did you go after that?
1: Uh, then moved to Phoenix, Arizona. I was married at the time and Bill graduated from medical school in 81. And I graduated from vet school in 80. So then we moved to Phoenix, Arizona. He had an internship and residency out there. And so that was great. I lo- you know, it was one of our, my pick choices too. So it was fun. So then I ended up working with the Arizona Humane Society and that is a whole other experience too. How so? Just, uh, the, the mindset that you have to acquire to be able to balance living and dying the the volumes of animals that, that are euthanized because of uh, over reproduction. And, you know, of course, through all of that has come about the early spay neuter programs. And now we realize that while it helps the zero population growth better, it doesn't really help the lives of those that are getting spayed when they're Eight weeks to 12 weeks old, so young, and even up until five, you know, used to it. When I was first out of school, it was five or six months before you spayed animals. And then we got into the early spays. It makes the surgeries easier, but those poor little bodies don't even know that they ever had the gonads. And, and that part of the body is a big factor for keeping the cytokines and that whole inflammatory response down. So the animals we see that are spayed and neutered young, I mean, they're the ones that are just in these horrific, raging, inflammatory, one thing to another states. So back to the Humane Society, the struggling is that trying to keep animals going out the door to be adopted that are healthy, but yet ones that could be totally adoptable, aren't getting adopted and end up having to get euthanized. And as the veterinary team, so the, the Humane Society was one side of the building and then the clinic was a different part of a building. And we worked in the clinic, but each veterinarian had to take a week and, and your job then that part of the day in the morning was triage. And you had to go through the shelter and decide who lived and who died. And I got to where I just had to read the record. I couldn't look at the animal and let my emotions get pulled in. I had to look at the breed. And that's another funny thing is in some parts of the U.S., like beagles will adopt out like really quick, no problem. In another area, beagles don't get adopted at all. So you had to look at the age and, and the, how long the animal had been there and any problems it had, and whatever notes was on that record that hung on the front of the kennel. I just had to look at that and then make a decision. Did it live or die? Cause that's how I could keep me mentally out of that emotional vacuum of feeling bad.
0: How long were you there?
1: Uh, I was there for like three or four years. And then also did relief work. I worked at the emergency clinic. Some I do relief work for other vets when they were on holidays and, um, then ended up that this was a this was a funny thing. Uh, Chris Snodgrass was in vet school when I was working in the Marshall Animal Clinic when I was going to undergrad, and I was working there. And he came in as a student on a rotation. And then he he's from Southern Springfield, Missouri, but also lived in moved to Phoenix. He was from Phoenix, and his wife was from Springfield. And he so he ended up in vet school there in Missouri and. And uh, so now he's he's in Arizona. He's five years ahead of me. And he ends up buying the at one point the humane means and the clinic split and the clinic was sold and he purchases the clinic and then moves all those files and that database not very far away. So then I end up working for him. So I ended (laughs) up the last two years working with Chris Nodgrass, who I was like idolized because here's this veterinary student at the clinic where I was and he was really friendly and nice. And I'm just like, Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm hoping I'm going to be like him one day, you know, and then I end up working with him, but that was a whole lot of fun. And got to do a lot of surgeries there. got really good with obviously spays and neuters between the humane society and that, but just like you get your expertise and yeah, could do a lot of good there too.
0: Um, where did you, uh, when did holistic medicine come into play then?
1: Not until 19, let's see here was 1995. Let's see here, five six. That well, was when I was 40. I'm turning 40, so uh, run 95. A uh, couple things that happened. One was that I was playing on a women's soccer. This is a year or so before soccer team, and got body. I'm going down the field with the ball, and I get hit from the side and knocked down, and I can't even get up. I had to get help getting up and I couldn't stand up straight. And the next morning I couldn't stand up straight. So I thought, well, I guess I got to call the doctor. So I went to the doctor. Well, the doctor in town who went to the church that I went to there, I didn't realize he was a DO. And of course they know osteopathy and they know how to make adjustments. And so that's all he did with me. He looked me over and adjusted me and it was like, oh, he must be Jesus because I walk in hunched over, can barely move. And I... I walk out standing upright. I'm going, wow, now this is something. So that was my first exposure to chiropractic. And that began the turnaround in my mind of the fact that there's another way to approach Mm that medical attention for the body that really is a solution. And then I had my son in 97. And as a parent, and it's like, I started looking at everything differently. And then I just decided I needed to find some answers. There's one specific day that these people brought in this dachshund and as I'm still doing traditional and they're on the table. And um, I say to the dog, to myself, to the dog, well, I can give you some drugs, but I can't fix your problem. And that was when I decided I needed to learn how to fix their problems, which meant going to chiropractic. So and that's where you and I met.
0: Yeah. So. What year was it? What year did you go? So you went to options? Mm-hmm,
1: 1997, March yeah.
0: through August. How, how? So how was it for you?
1: Oh, gosh, that was so much fun. It was like being back in college again. College was was great because you just go where they tell you and then you show up and you do your thing. And there's a whole lot of responsibilities you don't have. Just, you know, just get yourself there and do your homework. And that's kind of how this was, at least on those days when you were there from Wednesday to Sunday, it was like being in college and everybody was, it was fun and people were friendly and it was a group and a different kind of bonding and certainly eye-opening and then putting the brain back to thinking from a different way and learning how to see with your fingertips and how differently we pet animals now than what I did before. And I say we, cause I'm sure your hands do that too. It's like, you, you can't just like pet them. It's like your, your fingers already go into that sensation
0: mode. That's true. That's true. Had. So prior to options, had you ever really, besides that osteopath, had you hung out with chiropractors at all?
1: Nope. Nope. It was between doing chiropractic and doing acupuncture, and I just looked into them, and then the chiropractic program was close because I was outside of St. Louis, and this was in Hillsdale, Illinois, so it was like a six-hour drive, but um, just, it just was, a, it's a quick, you you get your results right then for the most part, and there's some that take a little bit, but there's something that you can do for them immediately to help. Whereas I kind of feel like with acupuncture, sometimes it takes a while to get those results and have things turn around. And I like that instant gratification.
0: So what what kind of, you'd moved back to St. Louis, what kind of practice were you in at the time?
1: Well, when I moved to St. Louis in 87, I built uh, a regular, it was a traditional practice that I built. And then, yeah, I had that, I sold that in 2001. That's when I totally went to just doing the rehab, the chiropractic and the rehab. So I sold the practice and still did surgeries for Jenny there for about 6 months or so while she was getting herself ramped up and got another veterinarian in too to help her workload and all that. And then I just kept doing the rehab and kept expanding that and the underwater treadmill and of course was already into laser and then added on the alpha stem microcurrent and oh exercise. Oh, I always loved exercise. So that was that was another reason that this whole The whole rehab part of my journey fits so well. I mean, it's like, okay, I get tired. It's still all veterinary. It's still all animal doctoring. But I've been able to change it through my entire career. If I got tired with one thing, I just did something else. I just continued to morph. That kept me growing uh, as well as entertained and kept my mind satisfied. So, yeah, I loved weightlifting and bodybuilding and exercise and jogging. And so a lot of the skills, because when I started, the rehab didn't exist in the veterinary profession. There were several of us. There was about eight of us, PTs and veterinarians that began the whole animal rehab back in like 99. And um, it was just creating what you could create from what you knew and sourcing that. Whole field has grown enormously. But because I'd had the background in that, that area of exercise, I'm going to call it exercise finesse, because there's a whole lot about doing exercises correctly, having your body posture correct and in line and balanced when you stand and all that. And I just applied all I'd learned from college and then after to the animal's and was able then to make it work and create exercises, and so I have a book and DVD, some horse as well. I mean, I just love doing the horses too.
0: when you sold that practice in St. Louis. Did you did you have an idea that St. Louis was ready for a for the next iteration of what you want to do, the rehab thing?
1: Well, the practice that I sold was there in union. I hadn't quite made it all the way into St. Louis yet. But your point is correct, is that I I built the rehab initially there in union as well. And I didn't even consider that there wouldn't be people that wanted it. But you are correct. The public wanted it, but the veterinary population, not so. They were not, they still were not convinced that needed rehab after surgery or that chiropractic even worked or that laser wasn't voodoo I presented laser uh, like in 2000 to the vet school and oh my gosh I got blackballed for that because they sw- it, the whole concept was that this is this is not respectable veterinary practice so it was uh, I learned how to dodge arrows but to me, It was right, it was correct, and the the results I was seeing I was seeing were valid, and and I couldn't turn my back on it. I couldn't turn my back on this idea of holistic care, the rehab, the laser, the microcurrent, the exercise, the chiropractic, that wellness, and then adding in the nutrition, and of course that's taken it to a whole other level for me. So 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 it was just that I knew. I knew what I knew that I knew and I had I just continued on and if people didn't like it then they were the ones that needed to open their eyes and do some reading
0: That must have been disappointing to get an invitation to be, go back to Missouri I assume to speak and then have yeah. it uh have it end up that way
1: Yeah oh yeah it took me some therapy to get over that Yeah because you know at the vet school my vet school And then uh, I was the first female president of the student AVMA chapter for the University of Missouri. The first female Mm -hmm. to ever be voted in as president, and I just loved the place and I loved the people. Of course, by then a lot of my the doctors that were mine, the ones that were there as professors, they were all gone. It was a whole new group of people and a whole new era. Just like music changes from the forties to the fifties to the sixties. It's like every decade there's a there's it's
0: different. How did you get involved with the microcurrent?
1: I was going to human physical therapy conferences in the late 90s trying to figure out what did they have for pain for people that I could apply for animals. Because at that timeline, you know, all we had was butte. Remedil had just come out. We were still using aspirin or prednisone. That's what we had for pain as far as dispensing something. So I was trying to learn more about what is it that they do? And of course, PT is back into that hands-on and rehab uh, venue. And so that's where I met up with the PTs, but it's also where I met the Alpha stone company I went to. There was uh, the APTA, American Physical Therapy Association, had a one-day conference of pain prior to their annual conference. Everything that day was about pain. And so... Three times in different lectures, I heard this company be mentioned. So I went to the exhibit hall and then found them and started talking to them. Of course, everything they're promoting is people. Everything was there for the brochures, the, everything was just human. And I said, well, what, what do you have for animals? And of course, that opened it up because all of the early research was done on animals to prove to the FDA that it was safe and effective for people but it just wasn't being promoted in the veterinary world. So, yeah, the best deal was if you bought 5 of them. So, I bought 5 of their devices, <laughs> and thinking, okay, I'm going to use these and I'm going to sell them as well and took them back and just started trying it on everything and learned studied, read, got the got the mindset of of microcurrent and and microamps and the functionality of this specific device and just started using it on everything. And then I started seeing these miracles. And um, before long, I was invited down to Mineral Walls, Texas, which is where the parent company is, for a conference to present what I was doing. And then uh, within a couple of years, I was the veterinary medical director for the company because I had Created so much on the animal and for quite a while we were doing really well in the animal venue
0: and then what happened
1: oh laser took over yeah uh, veterinarians realized that uh laser isn't voodoo and it does do all the beneficial changes physiologically in the body that i had promoted early on and it's easier to to do The Alpha Stem. while the device is simple, and it's easy in one way, when you're doing the treatments, you have to manually move it around. And it's a little bit, it's different than laser, just laying something there and letting the light do it. Got a few more steps. But it's still very, very good. I wouldn't want to live without it. I had mine on this morning.
0: When I think about that now that we're speaking of this um, and the work that they've done with microcurrent and ptsd with veterans Mm -hmm. do you think is that something you wish you'd had in your hands when you were at the humane society
1: that would have been helpful i i would have wanted it actually when i was in vet school that first couple years i really could have used
0: that (laughs) sure yeah (laughs) Ah.
1: (laughs) yeah definitely the first two years of vet school and then uh, i would have yes um and it definitely would help in that situation too for yes, as a humane society to help keep you sane
0: for you and for the for the uh for the animals at the shelter, I think mm-hmm. you know the the, be- the animals with behavioral issues that show oh, up yeah. at shelters and mm-hmm. you know the the possibilities for turnaround there,
1: yeah, we've got uh s- several different like rescue groups you know how they Ones will they have a certain breed, and then they pick them up from the humane societies and then they help rehab them and then get them into homes, yeah. that kind. And there's several of those that have the office stem for helping those because some of them, poor dogs, especially, uh, have had like three or four different homes and now they're going through it again. And poor things, yeah. So, they the office stem helps it's for anxiety, insomnia, depression, and pain. So, that's what it's FDA's cleared for, yeah.
0: Can you talk for a minute or two about how you got involved with standard process?
1: Well, that goes back to the um, options for animals program. Also, when I decided I was going to morph my practice into this holistic complementary chiropractic mode, I knew I wanted to also – I've grown up on a farm, always had a garden – and I appreciated, I worked at Prina's Research Farm. It's just like 12 minutes from where I grew up as well. I worked there for three different years. And I knew I wanted to add nutrition, but, but I was at the point where I knew it also, good nutrition wasn't the kibble in the bath. It's how we're getting calories into them, but it's not the nutrients that are, are creating a healthy body and a healthy life. So I surveyed. All the different doctors that went through the options program, what nutritional company do you use? And at that point, I didn't realize how much standard process was vetted into the chiropractic world. But obviously, you can tell, and you would from starting this, that if I'm doing a survey at a chiropractic place, I got pretty good odds that standard process is going to come out on top. So, um, yeah, in 1998, January, I uh, contacted the company and and was introduced to my local rep who was Hugh St. Ange, an awesome, awesome man. He helped me learn so much about Dr. Royal Lee and his research. And he got me old reference books that he'd written. And I read and read and listened to his lectures and just as anything, it's like if I'm in, I'm in all the way. It might as well be a deep end in everything I do because I go that far down. <laughs> I'm Like a fool. Uh, but anyway, yeah, that's how that's how it was. And I just another area, they had that human system survey with a questionnaire for people. And I did that and that little computer program and did it. And that's my staff did. it. And I thought, wow, this thing is pretty cool. It really does give you insight into the different organ systems and where you need to focus nutrition. I thought somebody needs to do that for dogs and cats. So, you know, I just turned a finger around and it became me. So I do have that clinical animal nutrition survey, which is that it's a questionnaire that the clients fill out, and it's good because it includes them. They see things with their animals because they're home with them that we're not going to see in a period of time. Even if you have an hour long initial visit, you're not going to get through at all, or even remember to ask it all. And then sometimes there's something that they think, oh, it's not that big of a deal. I'm not going to, and it and to us it could be really super important. So I went through all the Kirk's veterinary manuals and all the veterinary books trying to come up with uh, what would be the correspondence in the human side with these questions in the system. So sympathetic, parasympathetic, liver, respiratory, renal, all those. There's 11 categories I have on it now. And um, what nutrients they would need. And, and then I used in my experiences what would the client say? So I tried to put it in words that were common to what I would hear them say to me when they were describing something so that it's in their terms. And then they just answer these questions one, two or three. So that's uh, been a big, I mean, I still, it was 1998-99 when we finished that and to this day, I use it all. My new clients have to fill that out on recheck evals when we've been working on something and we want to make sure we've got progress. I have them fill it out because sometimes the people over time forget what all their complaints were at first. And so when you show them the one they had and where they're at now, they go, oh, gosh, I guess they are better.
0: We should, uh, I should interject here that you're going to present a couple of webinars for CIVT on this very subject later this year.
1: Yeah, that was a good segue.
0: Yeah, that's gonna. I'm really looking forward to that. Well, I got. I have to ask you now. I mean, you've written extensively, lectured extensively, um, and you've. I know you went around the country speaking for Standard Process. I mean, how did you manage all of that and still maintain your practice?
1: And raise my son.
0: And raise your son. And Go
1: horseback riding. <laughs> um, I think it was. I've always been very driven, but you have to be able to be organized. And in 1994, I hired a marketing uh, firm that they primarily deal with medical practitioners, so uh, veterinarians, chiropractors, optometrists. That that venue, the the company is Silken Management. They're out of Portland, and I was looking at some in the St. Louis area, but they didn't. They weren't specific to the to the medical venue. So they didn't, I thought, you know, they're going to be trying out things. And how do I know that they know the results are going to work? So I went with this company, Silicon Management out of Portland and signed up and that helped me in my business. It helped me to be a better practitioner, a better boss. It helped me to do the check sheets for the staff, each post, every job, every post, had its own little handbook, and here's the procedures, and here's the steps, and and checklists that people could when they're learning, you know, like so that okay, I do this and I do that, so they don't forget things. And um, yeah, I heard my receptionist, who became who was the office manager, talking to a doctor one day that had called asking us about how we liked this, and she said the happiness level at the clinic went from a two to a ten. Wow! So the happiness starts at the top. So that's how poor I was at creating a happy environment because I was probably and I was I'm pretty type A and I was just all stressed about making it all happen rather than having the confidence to know I knew and then it would just happen. So that company is what saved me and it's also what allowed me to become efficient in my time and efficient with my work and be able to do as as much as I have and and happy about it
0: how long did you use their services
1: oh i still do so i did it you know like intensively for the first year and then i was on monthly for the next year and then i went to as needed so there's still times when something may come up and i go oh, you know what i'm going to check with them and
0: ask them about this
1: so you know i may only call in once or twice a year now with a question
0: on something but they're still there for me that's great Mm-hmm. Uh, and do they work with other veterinarians? Or are you were you kind of just yeah? No,
1: okay. no, no. They have quite a quite a long line of veterinarians and chiropractors and optometrists and dentists. A lot of dentists use their program. Yeah, it teaches you how to. It's business management by statistics. So you learn how to create graphs and how to plug in numbers so that when you evaluate your employees, it's black and white. It's not emotional, and so you're not going to get yourself in trouble from some. HR firm or some lawsuit because somebody thinks they weren't treated equally because you're going by their graphs and their stats. Interesting. Mm -hmm.
0: So, so what happened then with the practice?
1: Which practice?
0: Your, your practice in, uh, in Missouri.
1: So I had the, the traditional practice that I sold in 2001. It's still alive and well, it's very, very busy right next to the humane society that I started there. Um, And so there's that one. And then I built the rehab in Union. And then after 2000, and that was in 2001, opened in 2002. When the 2008 uh, whole banking thing happened, uh, people were less willing to drive from St. Louis to Union, it was, say, 30 minutes to an hour, depending on what part of St. Louis they were from. So At that point, I'm looking, the numbers are going down, and I'm just not, my outreach is being dwindled, and I thought, okay, I got to get closer to the city. I went to Chesterfield for three years, and then I moved to Eureka, which is where I wanted to be instead of Chesterfield, but the place wasn't open, and then it became available right on the interstate. It was a great location in Eureka, and so then I was there for another five years, and then I put, I mean, I had the practice on for sale for about six years, but it's difficult to find veterinarians to do that kind of a holistic chiropractic rehab. Most of the people that get into it already have a practice somewhere else, and the new ones aren't being um, cultivated in a way to be able to take on all the responsibilities that as a practice owner you have. So, at any rate, um, it, it was, I did have somebody that was looking at it, and then um, I mean, pretty much sure going to buy it, and then COVID hit. And so that all fell through. So I just closed the doors, sold what I could, gave away what I could, donated a bunch to the Humane Society, and then moved to Arizona. And now I'm working again. I started up a new practice, and it's flourishing and prospering.
0: What uh, sort of practice have you started?
1: So it's just a one office. It's just one room space, chiropractic and nutrition. And I do, you know, the exercise stuff, but I don't have the treadmill there. But I still have the laser and the alpha stem and do all my things that I do and certainly have expanded in training veterinarians, which is one of my goals, training veterinarians on how to interpret the hair tissue mineral analysis reports because this is so viable for a nutritional practice and for a doctor to be able to understand what do I use for this patient and why would I want to use that. It gives you a graph that's like having a, a map, roadmap of wellness for nutrition. So I do a lot of that on my patients, for my patients, but then also in educating others how to do it.
0: Ava, do you have any, I see this as a huge problem, this idea that we're, you know, you're, you and I are somewhat contemporaries and we're solo practitioners and doing what we do. And there's a lot of us out there and we're aging and how do we, how do we get that next generation to take these practices over to continue to serve our clients. Do you have any thoughts on that?
1: I think that the pool of what we're going to be able to pull from, at least for a while, is going to be very small compared to what it was, say, 30 or 40 years ago of the ones that would be interested or want to invest in all of this until we get another decade out and the mindset of, of, those graduating is different. And only that will happen when how they are taught in the colleges is different. So I think part of it is going to be getting more of the veterinary colleges to introduce and actually have available these avenues, the homeopathy, the chiropractic, more of them have acupuncture now than, than what used to, but rehab, all of that so that more people get exposure to that when they're in college and come out wanting to do that.
0: Are you encouraged by what you see at the college level?
1: I haven't investigated the college level as far as like looking at their curriculum. Um, So I can't say that I have a good opinion on that.
0: Yeah. It seems to be a state of flux, you know, school by school, these Mm -hmm. sorts of services will pop up and they'll disappear and, You know, funding, I'm sure, and faculty availability and Mm -hmm. it's a struggle.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So somebody could start at a college because there was a program there and they're all excited. And by the time they get from their first or second into their third year when they could do that, it's gone. That would be disheartening. Mm -hmm.
0: Yes, definitely. All right. One more thing before we go. Yeah. Um, You've had a lot of accolades, Hertz Veterinarian of the Year nominated, but- how about your induction into the Animal Chiropractic Hall of Fame? You know, kind of all, where it all started for you. What was that like to, uh, to get that induction?
1: Well, you just mentioning it gives me goosebumps all over because that really, that was, I was selected by others because of what I had invested into animal chiropractic as it was developing. And you were on that initial board of directors with me too. And we took the options for animals, which was under the chiropractic umbrella, and then it split off and we created this, the, the whole, we took what Sharon Willoughby had wanted and what Leslie was working with, and then made it be able to build its momentum and, and achieve its, its goals and purposes. And having been, I didn't didn't think, you know, I'm just doing it. Just same thing. Like I I love the chiropractic. I'm in it. I was in it all the way. And it was um, very humbling to be recognized for, for all that I had contributed by, by my group. Yes, that would definitely be the greatest of the awards.
0: Well, I congratulate you on that. And I thank you for your contributions to certainly chiropractic and to our medicine in general, to our holistic medicine. Thank you, Neil. You've had a phenomenal career. It's not over.
1: No, that's right. Yeah, I feel blessed. I feel blessed in many ways that I knew early on what I was supposed to do, that I've been able to follow my passion, that I've been able to create changes and make better decisions that offered more pet owners and and uh, their fur babies and whatever it's cows, horses, whatever, better, healthier lives. Yeah, it's cool.
0: Well, almost the cooler thing for me, Ava, is that you've got a legacy now. You know, you've got your your lectures, your teaching, your written materials, you know, you've extended the scope of what you've been able to contribute way beyond your own exam rooms, which is phenomenal.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah, uh, thank you for recognizing that yeah that is i always thought that is one of my things was i guess that's the other thing that drives me as i thought if i spend all those hours and all that time learning something and learning it to the depth that i did and i didn't share it with others so that more animals could benefit then why did i spend all that time i think that is that we we need to be able to give as we go forward so that as you say the legacy that that knowledge and that time it's like I, all that time I spent it, it makes it more worthwhile when I can see others and i have so many i mean i have quite a um, little collection of of veterinarians that have learned to do the hair analysis and when i see them come back with a case and they'll tell me about it and and how it's gone and they're excited and i'm excited and it's it is very rewarding i'm saying okay now i just got to make this go Exponentially more.
0: That's what it's all about.
1: Which may Ava's, mean trying to get it into a college someday, huh? <laughs> right,
0: right. Ava, thanks so much for your time. I've really enjoyed talking with you, and I'm really looking forward to your webinars coming up on the nutritional uh, survey. Uh, it's going to be wonderful.
1: Thanks, Neil. Yeah, it'll be it'll be another eye opening experience.
0: Great. All right. Thanks for the time. And we hope to, I hope to see you soon.
1: Oh, I bet you will. Thanks, Neil. You're a good one. All
0: right. Bye. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of the College of Integrative Veterinary Therapies. ZIVT provides world-leading education in natural medicine, including three accredited postgraduate qualifications, industry-recognized certifications, and a wide range of evidence-based courses and webinars delivered by qualified and experienced practitioners. By bridging cutting-edge science and tradition, CIVT helps you to expand your treatment options to tackle your most challenging cases, and whether you're a veterinarian, veterinary technician or nurse, animal health professional, or someone who wants to learn more, they have the right course for you. Investigate their offerings at civtedu.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, we'd appreciate if you take the time to tell a friend and to give us a favorable rating on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for your support. We'll see you next time.